We're in a series called Saturate. Uh, this is like, I think, fourth or fifth week in it. Um, and it comes out of this word that the Lord gave me for 2021, which is the word presence. And uh, I just, one of the things that we're focusing on and we will continue to focus on throughout this year is increased presence of, of God in our midst. And that's individually, that's in our families, that's um, in our church and overflows into our community. I just believe that, um, that God is wanting in, to increase his presence in our midst. And so um, I just want to encourage you in that. We're, we're going to get into an account in Luke chapter 7. So if you got your Bible or your YouVersion app, you can turn to Luke chapter 7. And, uh, and be able to kind of follow along with us. We're going to be hunkered down in that scripture today. Um, and I want to invite you to stand with me. I know you're just standing a few minutes ago. Just stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. Um, we believe that the word of God has the power to mine the gold out of anyone who reads it. And so uh, we just want to continue to, you know, we're always about preaching the word of God. I've got some things to say, but uh, how many of you know that the word of God uh, has, has much more things to say and can transform us? And so um, as we read this together, I just want you to imagine that you're in this scene. Uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 36. I want you to take it in. Uh, think about what your response would be if you were in the center of this really awkward dinner party. We're going to pick it up here where Jesus was invited to a dinner party with a bunch of Pharisees, and this particular woman, um, a known sinner, prostitute, crashes the party. The name of this message is, cra- is Party Crasher, and uh, um, I believe that it's going to give you kind of um, an indication of what Jesus considers hosting his presence means. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Let's read. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. She stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man who were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, and she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them do you think will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven? You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Lord Jesus, I pray that, that as we get into this word, that you would reveal to us um, what it truly means to host your presence and what it means to not necessarily host it. 
what is most important to you, Lord? And so, Lord, I pray that as we enter into your word, that we wouldn't leave this place the same, that we would be changed by your presence. In your name we pray. Amen. You be seated. Thanks. <clears throat> so much of what I learn about um, relating to God, I learn from marriage and family. And um, I think... I think I've told you this before. My wife's here and she can verify this story. Um, but I think it's appropriate because it's Valentine's Day. Um, you can buy flowers everywhere the week of Valentine's Day. Have you noticed this? I mean, you, you can buy them at Cumberland Farms. Like you go buy any, any place and you can buy, they have a little thing, water and flowers that you can, you can pick them up. And um, I remember one time, we've been married over 20 years and it was probably, I don't know, five years in or so. And um, we're probably walking by Hannaford, you know, as you, as you leave, they have that whole wall of flowers and she loves, um, she loves, you know, these certain types of flowers. And so she says, ah, oh, those are beautiful. And she said, um, she said, you never get me flowers. And, uh, and I thought to myself, uh, well, I'm going to show her. And so, you know what I did that next day? I, I picked up flowers at the store and then I brought them home after work, and I thought to myself, oh, my goodness, I am an amazing husband. <laughs> thought, I mean, like, she's going to be blown away that I listened because I'm so attentive as a husband. You, you guys, you understand how amazing we are. And so I, I came in the door, and um, a beautiful bouquet from Cumberland Farms. And, um, and, and you know what she says to me? She says, what are those? Like, what, what, what do you mean? What do you mean, what are those? Like, um, I'm wondering, like, no smile, no curtsy, no French kiss. You know, I'm hoping for that. You know, like, no, no thank you, my lord. You know, none of that, which would have been apt for the moment, you know? Like, come on. And so uh, I said, well, these are flowers for you because I'm a tentative husband. And so uh, I didn't understand. And she says to me, the words that I'll never forget, she said, I don't want your pity flowers. And I was like, ouch, that was mean. Now, here's the thing. Every husband understands the mental gymnastics that you go through in your brain during that moment because we're simple and we think, you said you wanted flowers and I got them for you. Why are you not kissing me, right? Like, these are simple. I mean, we're, we're very simple humans, right? And like... I don't understand. You said you like these. I got them what you like, and then you're not kissing me. I don't get why I'm in, I, you're mad at me. And so the, there's this reality. After you kind of process through it in anger and um, rejection, then you get to this place where you realize, and I realize this, that nobody loves obligatory love. Nobody does. Hey, get me this. Oh, okay, I'll get it for you because I love you. Um, which is why, and this may be a, a shocker to some of you, which is why no wife ever swoons or faints when her husband gives her flowers and a card on Valentine's Day, right? Nobody's like, oh my gosh, he got me a card for Valentine's Day. This guy's romantic, right? Like, oh my goodness, you are a dreamboat, right? Nobody's like, 
oh, let me hold on a second. Like, let me get off the floor for this card you got me for Valentine's Day. Like, that never happens. Why? Because essentially, I think, and I don't, I'm crawling into, so yeah, I might be speaking for some of you ladies, but I think that some of you may be thinking this, that is this, it is literally the least you could do for putting up with your malarkey for the past year, right? You know what I mean? It's literally the least you could do is to just give me a card and, and here's some flowers, and it is literally the least thing that, that you could do. And I'd like to submit to you today that when our attitude towards God looks like obligation rather than passion, it probably looks and feels a whole lot like pity flowers. <laughs> um, and as we read the story, uh, like we just did, there's this intensely awkward, catch this, this intensely awkward juxtaposition of a nice, tame dinner party and then this over-the-top, overwhelming display of passion in the same moment. And if you're taking notes, the first point is this, that God is looking for us to love him out of a passionate pursuit rather than obligatory obedience. He's always looking for us to love him out of a passionate pursuit rather than obligation. So all of a sudden, this woman, she, um, this uninvited prostitute, crashes this party, and um, she's the only one, from what we can tell from this short story, that uh, she's the only one that didn't get an invitation. And from what it appears to look like, I don't think she cared. I don't think she expected one. I don't think she was thinking, I, I should have gotten that invitation in the mail. It must have gotten lost in the mail. I don't think that this professional prostitute, professional sinner was thinking, man, it's weird. All these Pharisees got invited, but I didn't get the invite. I'm probably invited anyway, right? I don't think she thought that. I don't think that she cared, but it gets even worse because not only is she simply a prostitute, she is more than that. She is a prostitute with an, abs an absolute emotional train wreck train wreck of, like, of emotions. And we see this. And this isn't like a judgment call. This is like, if we just take a look at, at, the, at this story, I mean, she is emotionally just involved. Let's just say that, okay? That's fair. Verse 38. Picture this. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She then wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. From the sounds of it, I don't think she had much of a plan. I really don't. I, I think that uh, the only plan was, I have this perfume. It's probably the, my prized possession for her, and I'm bringing it to Jesus. And then things go cray-cray. And then things kind of, the wheels come off, and, and she is absolutely emotionally involved in seeing Jesus and being in his presence. Have you ever come to a place where, where God has put something on the inside of you and you just know that you know that you know that you know that you know that you're supposed to go in and it doesn't really matter what other people think. You just like, man, God has said like, I want you to give this. I, I want you to bring this. I want you to do this. I want you to step out in faith in this. I want you to, I, this is what I'm, I'm calling you to and you know that you know that you knew and it really doesn't matter and it, you run the risk of other people being like, that's too much. Like you need to chill out. Your love for Jesus seems to be rising above your logic right now and your, your rational existence. And this is this, this woman. She, she just gets a case of she can't help herself. And this is what I love about her because God rarely calls us to wait for enough bravery. 
Most times he simply calls us to do it scared. Many times, you know, and I mean this in the most love that I can as your pastor, that like many times we get something that God is like is urging us to do and launching us to do. And he's saying, I want you to do this, give this, um, walk in faith in this, believe for this. And we, we're like, okay, okay, I'm going to wait until you pour enough, uh, enough bravery into me. Like, I need a little bit more. I need a little bit more. I need a little bit more. And then I'll act on it. But God is continually saying, no, I actually, I put this on the inside of you so that you would begin to walk. And it's only when you begin to walk that I'll pour that bravery into you to be able to see it come to fruition. I actually need you to do it scared. That's just been my, my experience with, with Jesus. And then, so she crashes this party. She completely loses it. And then she... She stands behind Jesus and begins to ugly cry on his feet. Why do I say ugly cry? You know it was an ugly cry. I mean, this is a mess, literally a mess. Her tears are ruining everything. Like it's so much of a mess that it's, she's saturating his feet with her tears. They're literally soaked and she doesn't have a plan. Obviously, she didn't bring a towel. She wasn't planning. I'm going to go see Jesus. I'm going to just cry until his feet are soaked and then I'm going to clean them and I'm going to pour. There's no plan. She doesn't have a towel. So she just takes down her hair, which is completely inappropriate in this day and age. And she uses her hair to dry and to kind of clean his dirty feet with, with, with her hair. And then she starts kissing his feet. You can read it. She many times kisses his feet, the dirtiest part of the body in the ancient world, kissing them. And then she pours this perfume, maybe the only part of the plan, on his feet, and she's absolutely consumed with the presence of Jesus. Can you relate to this? I mean, it's a spectacle. It's this all-in completely consumed, I came with one purpose, and that's to meet with my Savior. And, and I know that I know that I know that this is, this is what I'm called to. It's, it's, it's quite a story. And to make it even more awkward, the text gives us reason to think that Jesus didn't even look at her until the Bible specifically says that he does. Catch that. <laughs> I want you to think this through. So this prostitute comes in, makes a complete spectacle. She is wailing. She's crying. She's wiping his, his, his feet with her hair. She's pouring out perfume. You would have think, and I kind of did the math on this, it would have taken the minimum of five minutes for this whole thing to happen. Right? I mean, just to squeeze tears out enough to be able to have all that happen. Five minutes. And what, what it looks like is this. I'm getting too old for this. So <clears throat> what it looks like is... When they say reclining at the table, this is the way they would sit. They would all kind of sit in a cir- circle or recline in a circle with the, their heads facing each other. And they would be eating at this dinner party and their feet would be out, like kind of like a, a spoke of a wheel. They'd be out. And so she's wailing back here. She's crying on his feet. She's wiping her, her, her hair to dry off his feet, pouring perfume. And Jesus isn't even looking at her. I, I don't know what he's doing. I'm guessing he's looking around at everybody else around the circle. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, you passed the Baba Ganoush? Yeah, it's good pita. Honestly, I, you have to wonder what Jesus was up to. I almost, and I would say this, I think that he was watching their reaction to her seeming overreaction. What do you guys think of this? 
what do you, what do you think this, this, what do you think's going on here? Like, I mean, as, as she's wailing and making a complete spectacle, he's watching everybody else around the table. And it says pretty much that everybody is silent. The only thing that we get to read is what Simon the host was thinking. And that's both disarming and, um, well, exciting that, that, that Jesus would, would be able to hear what we're thinking. It says in verse 39, when, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she was, that she is a sinner. And I think sometimes, you know, in our 21st century minds, and we, you know, we don't like Pharisees because they're whitewashed tombs and, you know, they're bad people and they're the religious and all those things. And we think to ourselves, like, man, like, I can't believe this Pharisee. Yet again, judging people, putting people in categories, you know, unless it's your party that she crashed. Unless it's your life group that you're, you know, this prostitute comes in and you're with a bunch of church people trying to impress them and show them that you are normal, right? And then all of a sudden this, this, this prostitute comes in and she just makes a complete spectacle. I swear I don't know her. I don't know. I, guys, I literally, I never met her. I have no idea who she is. I don't know what's going on here. Unless she just all of a sudden comes in to your house. And I, and I think about this, like, who do you relate to more in this story? The woman or... Simon, the guy hosting this really awkward dinner party. And it's this question for me is like, do I um, have a hard time loving people who don't fit my mold? As this woman kind of comes in and just is her. And I'd like to think that I'm, I'm more like this woman, like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm like a passionate worshiper and I love Jesus and all these things. But, but if I'm really honest, if I'm really truly honest with myself, many times I'm more comfortable throwing a holy, tame dinner party for Jesus than being a passionate worshiper of Jesus. I'm, I'm much more comfortable you know, coming to a, a holy dinner with him. And the question for me is like how... How long has it been since you found yourself just getting lost, literally lost in his presence, like this woman? Like when was the last time you, you did something in response to Jesus that cost you something? Maybe it was your dignity, maybe it was your finances, maybe, I don't know what it was, but when was the last time you just did something that others would look at you and say, that's too much? That's too much. And I look at this story, and it's almost, if you take a look at the, this account, it's almost like this woman knows a different Jesus than the rest of the people at the party. She's the only one who even remotely reacts to Jesus like this. Whatever Jesus had, had done for her, whatever, um, whatever she'd heard about him caused her to react differently to his presence than every other holy person that was at that dinner that night, including the guy who invited Jesus to dinner. And so I'm not suggesting that you go around and start wailing and hair drying and, and pouring perfume on everything. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that, that this is kind of what it looks like, but when was the last time that you were just in awe at his presence? When was the last time that you just said, God, I just am so blessed. God, I thank you of what you've done in my life. I thank you what you're doing in my life. I thank you, Lord, I am just absolutely engrossed in, in your, I'm captivated by your presence. Instead of doing what these rest of these holy people were doing, which was focusing on the new girl that shows up. Notice in verse 39, 
It says that the host calls this nameless woman. She doesn't even have a name in the story. I don't know if you caught that. Um, She's nameless, but she's known as a sinner. That's her name. Imagine going down in history books as that sinner, the sinful woman. And the reality that we we struggle with as Christians, as Christ followers, as church people, is that um, the the temptation is to put somebody in, in a lower category. And when we put someone in a lower category, we're putting ourselves automatically into a higher category. And when we put ourselves into a higher category, whether we realize it or not, we inadvertently lessen our need for a savior. We, don't, we, we would never say that, but in essence, like I'm doing a whole lot better than this hot mess of a chick, right? I'm doing so much better than that. I mean, I mean, I'm not saying that I'm perfect, but my goodness, like, look at what's going on with her. Like, this is this is yet another reason why, gosh, people need Jesus. People need Jesus, including you, including me. And what we find is that when we do this comparison game, like I'll put someone in a lower category so I can be put in a higher category, it is completely counterproductive to the gospel. Why? Because when we play this comparison game, spiritual apathy starts to set in. And we don't necessarily see it because it's a slow fade, but this reality, like we, we come to Jesus when he saves us, he frees us, and then we start to walk in it. And we're like, God, I can't you. And then, now I got this and I don't necessarily need you like I used to need you, but I still love you like I used to love you. And so we end up, this is, this is where it can go, is that we end up going home from our weekly dinner party on Sunday morning, and we go home and we think, why don't I have passion for God in my life? I don't understand. I'm, I'm giving, I'm serving, I'm, I'm bringing flowers like he asked me to. I don't understand why I don't have passion for God in my life. And then we start, to, we start to play the blame game. Maybe it's other people. Maybe it's our family. Maybe it's the preacher. Maybe it's the worship team. They didn't play Revelation song, and they need to play Revelation song because it ushers in the presence of God. Everybody knows this. I don't know why we're not playing it anymore. And so, like, you know, or, or maybe it's the church's fault, and they're not doing what they should be doing, and we get into this place. But, and I'm disciplined. I, I'm bringing flowers like he asked me to. And it, what I love about this story is it just brings it all down and strips it all away. And this lower category, professional sinner, overly emotional prostitute, seems to know something about Jesus that I forget. We can learn from her. What is that? It's this reality that there is no small, medium, large, and biggie size in the kingdom of God. There's no good, better, and best. There are two categories, lost and found. Dead and alive. There's no, there's no gradation of that. Those things are usually made up in our own hearts. He continues in verse 40. It says, Jesus answered him, which I need you to realize, he never actually asked a question out loud. He just thought it. And he says, Simon, I have something to tell you. <laughs> Simon's like, tell, tell, tell me, teacher. He says, two people owned money to a certain money lender. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50 Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And it's almost like Simon thinks it could be a trick question. Because he's like, "Um, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven? Right? And Jesus is like, you've judged correctly. Right? 
you've judged wisely. Jesus is making something very clear here to Simon and probably to all the people that are around there as they're watching this woman make a spectacle of herself. He's saying, Simon, you think your debt of sin is less than hers. And maybe it is. You think that because your debt of sin is less than hers that you can pay back your debt of sin. But Simon, what I need you to realize is that you are both bankrupt. You're both bankrupt. Simon, um, you're just as spiritually bankrupt as this woman, only you don't realize it. You may think, oh, that's 500 denarii. Look what she did. <laughs> Goodness, you need Jesus. <laughs> but you're 50. You're, you don't have enough to be able to even pay back your debt. And this is when, if we're not in check, that that religion can start to cause us to have a higher view of ourselves by putting other people down, inadvertently, lessen and cheapen the grace of God. Galatians chapter 2, verse 21 says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. In other words, we cheapen the grace of God when we think we can earn it. We cheapen it. One of the worst sins by far is self-righteousness, pride. It's the thing that brought Satan down. It's the thing that, that literally is probably one of the only caps on the grace and the love of God in our life. We don't see it that way, but self-righteousness essentially abdicates God's righteousness because we think we can earn it. So you can only earn up to what you can earn, which is not much. Because God's like, I, actually, I need you to just rely on my righteousness because it's my righteousness in your life that will bring true freedom. And you'll experience this type of love maybe like this woman. Because if, if you see this, what, what he's communicating, Jesus is talking to all these people, is this whole scenario is going on, is that it's important for us to realize that Jesus was not hindered by the amount of sin that needed to be forgiven. Do you see that? What he was hindered by, and what he's hindered by in our own life, is when we are not self-aware of our own sin in our life. I'm all good. I've been coming to church for 25 years. I got this thing, Right? I don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do. I mean, I did date that one girl, and she chewed. It was gross. I dumped her, right? But, you know, we get to this place where it's like, I, I got this thing. I got this Christian walk thing down. I got a big smile on. Everything's good, right? Because as Christians, and if we're not careful, this is where, this is where this thing starts to head, is that we get to this place where we think that being a Christian means that you just need to pretend that everything is awesome. Everything is awesome, right? You come to church and you're just like, I mean, you're fighting with your spouse and getting your kids and you're just like, you come into the church, bless God, hallelujah, right? This is an amazing day to be in the Lord's presence, right? And we're like, everything is awesome, because we think that like, to be a Christian means, well, I know that I'm going back into the same thing that Jesus freed me from, but I just need to act and pretend that everything's okay because that's what being a Christian means. But the reality that we find is that God cannot heal who we pretend to be. He can only heal who we truly are. And so the very thing that we think is sometimes protecting us is actually causing more harm because we're actually taking God's righteousness out of it and putting our own self-righteousness on top of it, thinking that it's going to be good enough. Verse 44, Jesus turns to look at this woman for the first time. This is the only one that we see. I'm not saying he didn't glance back, but he, for the first time he looks at this woman. 
but he's talking to Simon and he says to Simon, I want you to catch this. So he's, he's lying down and he looks back at the woman, but he's talking to Simon and he says, Simon, do you see this woman? What an odd question. I mean, if I were Simon, I'd be thinking, yeah, we've been watching her for the past 10 minutes and it's getting really awkward. In fact, we were all wondering if in fact you saw her. Because this is weird, right? But what Jesus is asking when he's saying, do you see her? I think what Jesus is saying to Simon, he's like, I, I know that you see her sin. I know you see her category. I know you see her as a disruption. I know that you're comparing yourself to her because <laughs> I, I heard your mind, right? I know that you're using her um, to prop up your view of yourself. But do you see her? I wonder if sometimes we just don't see people. We see what they are, what they've done. We see their past and their reputation. But do we see them? The person that you're fighting with, the person that you're, in, in, that, that, you're, that you're struggling with, do you see a person? Do you see them? Do you see their, your enemy? Do you see, you know, uh, you don't know what they did or what they've done? And Jesus is like, do you, do you see her? Do you see her? And then he starts telling Simon about this amazing woman that he sees. Verse 44, he says, I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet. I'm not mad about it. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Y'all been seeing this. You didn't put oil on my head. This woman has poured perfume on my feet. And so when we talk about hosting the presence of God, right, we quickly find out just from this small little dinner party what is important to Jesus. That, that God is more impressed by how we choose to host him than what we choose to boast in. This is what impresses him. Simon is, this, or Jesus is essentially telling Simon, this party crasher hosted me better than you did. This uninvited prostitute, overly emotional train wreck actually hosted me better than you did inviting me into your home. Whoa. You treated me like a commoner and she treated me like a king. She hosted me. Verse 47, it says, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Like when, when, when you realize, when you come to realize that how very, 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 very much you've been forgiven, you can't help but love very, 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 very much. And we see this in this woman's life. Like I was reading verse 47. I was reading it like over and over and over again. And I realized something. And, and maybe this is something that you guys know. This is something that I just forget. It's interesting. Essentially what Jesus is saying here in verse 47, that if you're lacking a passionate pursuit for God right now, like you're just kind of maybe in this place, you're like, I don't know, I just feel dry. I just don't, I don't know. I mean, I talk, I, I, this woman, the crying, the tears, the hair, the perfume, like, I don't know, it seems a little much. And I, I can't remember the last time I was just in love with Jesus the way this woman is. And if you're feeling like your passionate pursuit is waning, maybe you need to repent more. Just reading the, the word of God. I'm, that's 
pretty much what it says. If you're like, well, I just kind of was thinking they, the preacher would preach better or if we could just do something different and then, then maybe I would have that passionate pursuit back. But what Jesus is saying, if you're not crashing parties, if this woman seems more like a crazy interruption to you, maybe you need to make more space for God to forgive you. That hurts. He's saying, like, if you've been forgiven little, you love little. If you've been forgiven much, you love much. So maybe, maybe the answer is necessarily that we've got to get to the place where we allow the Holy Spirit to convict us so that we can repent and increase our level of love. Because the more you've been forgiven, the more love. Are you putting a cap on God by trying to ask him to heal who you pretend to be rather than who you really are? So we get this perfume thing. I, 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 I don't know quite what the, what the point was, but I don't think she knew what was going to happen, but I think that once she saw Jesus, she lost it. I mean, she, she brought this perfume, but she brought it with a purpose, and I want you to see that. Like, this perfume, as a professional sinner, as a prostitute, was a crucial part of her occupation in the day. Uh, people did not smell good back then. It was very difficult to smell good. They didn't bathe very well, right? So smelling good or smelling bad was bad for business. Um, it may have actually been what attracted business for her. And I want to suggest to you that um, she brought it specifically to sacrifice it. I think that was probably the only part of her plan. I'm bringing my most prized possession. I'm sacrificing it. I'm pouring it out for Jesus. It reminds me of 2 Samuel chapter 24. King David, is, uh, he wants to buy a piece of land because he wants to build an altar on it. And so he goes to the owner of the land and he says, I'd like to buy your land so that I can build an altar. And of course, you're talking to the king and the, you know, the owner's like, no, I'll give it to you for free. And what David says, this is his response. No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. King David knew that something that is not a sacrifice unless, you, unless it costs you something. And many times, even for this woman, like just bringing a sacrifice of praise. And so she comes in and she offers this sacrifice that cost her something. And I, I, I don't know, I think the, if this was only part of her plan, I think that maybe she was coming to Jesus saying like, I am done with my old life and I'm breaking this and I'm offering that thing that once brought me business and I'm offering it off as a sacrifice to you. I can no longer go back to what you freed me from. <laughs> Why don't you stand with me? This, uh, this woman, uh, I, I, I wonder sometimes, like, if you were at this party, how would you react to her? Would you have judged her? Would you have uh, categorized her? Would you have seen her as a a crazy interruption to your really good, tame dinner party? Or would you allow her display of affection to replay your affection? I think that many times what I love about having um, baptisms up here on the stage is that the display of affection when somebody finds Jesus replays our affection back to us. We find time and time again throughout Scripture to go back to our first love, to come back to our first love, to come back to your first love, to remember what it is that God has done in your life so that it can replay your affection for him.
I think that many times the longer we get, the more that we need to be reminded of our first love. So this woman, she comes with a purpose and she knew, I, one thing, I want to meet with my Savior. And she didn't come perfectly, but she came, she came prepared with a sacrifice of praise. And she wasn't waiting around. This is what I love about her. She wasn't waiting around for the invitation. Maybe it got lost in the mail. I don't know. She wasn't waiting around for goosebumps to strike. Yes, now is the time. She wasn't waiting for Revelation song to make a comeback. She wasn't saying like, you know, well, I'm just going to wait for other people to start breaking open their perfume alabaster boxes. Is this the perfume time? Shall we be doing that? I brought mine. Did you bring, did anyone else bring their perfume? No, this woman is, she just, walk, she just walks in and she has one purpose. I am meeting with my Savior. And I, she didn't wait for the, the host of the party to host the presence of God. She just decided, I am not going to be a thermometer in this place. I'm going to be a thermostat. I'm going to set the temperature. I know all these people came here for a nice tame dinner party and they've got all their nice pleasantries and they're having a real time and they're like, ha, ha, ha. And she just comes in and she's just like, I came to meet with Jesus. Move out of my way. I'm going to set the temperature in this room. I'm going to be a thermostat rather than a thermometer. Why? Because a thermometer just tells you the temperature. A thermostat says, I'm setting it. I refuse to allow other people around me to set the temperature of the room. I came in prepared with a sacrifice, praise. And she meets with Jesus. And she was unwilling to allow anyone else to intimidate her to talk her out of it. So I want to ask you this. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you today? And, and just looking at this story and taking it all in, like what is it that the Holy Spirit is, is encouraging you in? And, and maybe, this may be difficult, maybe you need to repent of something to make room for him. Ah, oh, but that's, that's a kind of, that's a humble thing. Exactly. Maybe there's a place where you just, you just know that there's something that's holding you back from running hard after him. Maybe it's the fear of man. Maybe it's whatever that thing is. I just want to encourage you today to take, this, uh, to take into account where you've been and where you are and where you want to be. And so, Lord, I pray for an increased presence in each and every single one of us to the measure of the degree that we're passionately pursuing you. Lord, I pray that you would light the fire again, even if it's smoldering, even if we have that small spark. I pray that you would blow it, that you would blow it into flame again. Lord, I pray that you would stir us up as we stir up the gift of God that is in us, that we wouldn't settle for what was yesterday. We wouldn't settle for what you did before, but that we want to walk into what it is that you have for us. Jesus, we want to encounter you. And yes, at church, and yes, with other Christians, but we just want to, we just want to be enthralled in your presence, Lord. I pray that we wouldn't settle for religion and our own self-righteousness, but that we would love you run hard after you because it's only in your presence where there is hope, where there is grace, where there is mercy for sins, where there is the freedom that we are dying to look for. And Lord, we repent for looking for it in other places. And may today be a day where we just choose to take a stand that we're walking in whatever you have for us.
And we won't look to the left or look to the right, but we come with a sacrifice of praise. And so, Lord, we lift you up in this place. Whether this is the first time that we've come into a place of like, God, I want to know this. I want to know you more, Lord. I pray that today would be the day where people would encounter your presence, if not for the first time. Lord, I remember when I first met you, summer before my ninth grade year, I literally just came to you and said, if this is true, then I want it. And maybe that's your prayer today. If this is true, then I want it. I receive you as my Lord, my Savior. Come, live in me. Lord, I thank you for the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we want to go from death to life, from lost to found. I pray that we would go through that today. Lord, may you be glorified because you're worth it, you're worth it, you're worth it. In Jesus' most holy and precious name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. Have an amazing Valentine's Day. Don't get pity flowers. <laughs>